Hi there, everybody. This is Jesse Mermel. And this is Jennifer Nassour. And I'm a Democrat. And I'm a Republican, still. <laughs> and we are disagreeing agreeably here on the podcast. I'm very proud of myself for getting the name of our little thing right, because I keep screwing it up. Um, Jen, how did you get to our beautiful, fancy studio this afternoon? Um, you know what? I'm like in a sweat because I was racing up Beacon Hill on foot. And is uh, walking your normal mode of transportation? Well, I live in the city of Boston, so <laughs> yes, walking is... <laughs> Slightly more reliable and less stressful than hopping in a car. 100%. Yeah, and I'm actually kind of with you. I walk to work, even though it's about a 90-minute door-to-door walk, I choose to walk some days rather than take the T or drive. But I do own a car. Do you have a car? I do. Yeah. I, yeah, I hate driving. I hate taking public transportation and um you know if i if i really need to be someplace then i'll uber yes mm-hmm. i'm an uber abuser oh my goodness <laughs> well i i actually like taking public transit when it works i think the problem i'm having and a lot of other people are having is that it doesn't always necessarily work and that's kind of what we want to talk about today um transportation how it is or isn't working and in this election season how is it impacting the elections and will it impact how people vote well, you know, it's interesting. So I, you know, again, like we live in the city right outside the city. And so it's different for us, right? Because we can walk. When I talk to my friends that miss their commuter rail coming in and to hear the stories of the bodies that are up against each other. And um, I grew up in New York and I took the train from Long Island into the city all the time. Most yeah, reliable thing was LIRR. You'd have a seat, you would be comfortable and about you know, within 20 minutes going 10 miles, you'd be in the city. Yeah. Right. And, and great. And there was no reason why anyone would drive. And I got to Massachusetts and I worked originally in the Worcester DA's office and I had to drive to Worcester and I couldn't understand why I couldn't do the reverse commute on a train. Yeah. That's a pretty reasonable question. (laughs) Now this was a long time ago. So that, that issue has been fixed, but you know, I, I still think a lot of my friends opt who live in the burbs opt to take the their own cars and sit in tr- painful traffic. A friend of mine was telling me the other day that sometimes it takes them an hour and a half from Wellesley That's just to get nuts. in. That's insane. That's absolutely nuts. There's a young woman I work with in, you know, my day job that pays the bills because podcasting has yet to <laughs> pay Wait. my mortgage. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the free job doesn't pay. Yeah, it doesn't. Well. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, I'm frugal, but I'm not that frugal. And she lives in Gardner, and she takes the commuter rail in every day. And there's some days she actually drives outbound to make sure she gets a parking spot and can get a seat on the train in order to come back inbound. And she's just uh, altered her schedule to work from home one day a week. And, you know, thankfully, she's the type of job that she could do that. But if you work at a Starbucks or you're an hourly wage worker and need to be there in person, you don't have that type of flexibility. And so it's impacting our economy. It may be impacting our elections. And we're very, very pleased to have Charlie Chippio from uh, Pioneer Institute and from Governing and Mark Abunia from Transit Matters here with us today to help dissect everything. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Absolutely happy to be here. So, the million dollar question, will issues of transportation impact the elections coming up on November 6th here in Massachusetts? Charlie, you Uh, you have something to say. Well, I I mean, I think yes and no. I mean, I think clearly it is among the top issues that people are concerned about it. I'm just not sure how many votes it will sway because I'm not sure. I think, I think, People are in a mindset that it's going to be bad no matter who gets elected. 
I, I really think that's sort of where people are. I'm not saying I endorse that, but I think I hear a lot of that. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we have this defeatist attitude? Is it the Massachusetts, oh, I walked to school 10 miles each way in the snow and my kids will have yeah, it hard too? Or I, why is it? I think there's a couple reasons. Um, one is because in recent memory, uh, you know, it's pretty much been that way. Um, I, you know, I think the other reason is, I think the more optimistic thing is that uh, transit is not something that you turn around on a dime. And I think a lot of the right things have been done to help make it better. But I think it's still going to be a long, not a long time, but I think that the, it's, there is a lag before you actually see the results of those decisions. Yeah. And I think, I, I do think that there's going to be some small effect, but it's not going to be enough to to really sway the election. Uh, I think what you'll probably find is that a lot of the people who do ride the T on a daily basis, uh, those are the people who are frustrated with this this lag. A- and I'm, I'm on the side where I do also recognize that it does take time to see the product of these investments. And I do appreciate that the, the governor is putting some effort into these sort of Really, I think he, he said in the in a recent uh, Globe article that it was the sort of boring the boring work, and I, we're okay with that. Uh, but also, you need to do the major investments, and he's done things to accelerate that. But I think for the rest of the state who don't take the tea, he's done actually a really great job to appear to have the appearance of this effectiveness. Uh, you know, people outside of the the MBTA service area who don't take it on a regular basis. They they uh, they moan and they groan about how their taxes are going to the T. This thing that they don't use or they can't use aren't effective. I'm originally from Long Island myself, so I know that, that that's one of how the did reasons we let why so we... many New Yorkers here. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm we, back at BU. If I had known, we infiltrate. Oh my, you guys are sneaky. I don't like it. But the pro- that, that that experience of of the f- the convenience of reverse commutes, which is actually something that Long Island Railroad is struggling to invest in in doing today, is some is a product of something that a private company did a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. electrifying that network so that way we can have uh, trains at at minimum every 30 minutes uh, off peak, off peak. Right. Now, I mean, and, you know, I, I think as someone who, again, you know, all joking aside, I mean, I do like to walk. The city's beautiful and, and it's not that big and, you know, you just, there's a lot of traffic, so it's just easier to walk and, you know, be able to talk on the phone and everything else walk around Boston, um, which is really why I walk. I, I enjoy the extra exercise. Um, also clears my head from all those kids always talking. <laughs> uh, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, I, I think I, I look at transportation as something, and, and, you know, correct me if you guys think that I'm wrong, but it's one of those things where, like you said, Charlie, it, it kind of is what it is. And I think people almost expect that it's just how it is. And one day it will change. I mean, there's, what, $8 billion being invested over the next five years. That's a lot of money to be invested into the MBTA um, overall. And it's something that has been needed to get done for a long time. And I think as those things happen, those will be welcome changes. And, And maybe it will be in the Baker administration. Maybe it will be in the next administration or down the line that those are actually realized. But I think Unless you're in it every single day and you're you're feeling that pain, I mean, I have more of an issue with traffic than you know <laughs> that thinking that oh the T is going to be faster or better. But isn't that making the case for why uh, the governor should actually go out there and ride the T 
and experience it? No, I think it makes the case for more ride sharing. I think it makes the case for more people leaving their cars at home and and figuring out. But why would you leave your car at home if you think the tea is going to be awful? Well, I mean, people are on it, right? I mean, it's more, it's adding more teas. I think that, you know, I look at this issue, this isn't something that just happened under Baker. This has been going on for years. No question. Decades. So, yeah, this, this is something that someone should have had the foresight years ago to look at and say, okay, we have this many people, this many more people working in the city. We're bringing in jobs. I mean, listen, I felt a little bit of this to Mayor Menino for, you know, not thinking, forwardly enough that the city was growing at such a huge pace so quickly that nothing you know there are partnerships there are partnerships between the city and the state and and I feel like that that actually took such a big hit because no one ever thought forward on that well when you find the politician who is willing to fix signal systems and tracks and things like that before there's a crisis, let me know, because I would absolutely <laughs> vote for that person. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it really is about that forward investment, right? You, you look, look, let's take a look at the orange and red line cars that are going to start being added to the tracks this year, uh, hopefully. Uh, that's an investment that the previous administration made, but they had to, they made it at the end of the admin, at the end of their term, and they had to do a significant political lift to actually get agreement, bipartisan agreement, also in the legislature to get the fun, the money funded there. So and less uh, money than was originally asked for. Absolutely, and and you know again credit to kudos to the uh, to Baker for uh, expanding that and actually giving enough money to to completely replace the red line fleet. Uh, but that's the kind of investment that we need to be making sooner rather than later. And to your point, you know, yeah, there are there are relationships that that can be made that need to be made, and we need to be making these decisions before it becomes crisis point. Uh, but like I, I think we were talking about this before, transportation is just kind of what it is. And even if you look if you look at uh, national politics, who's the only person in the president's cabinet who actually has previous uh, you know, go- uh, governing experience, and that's the transportation secretary. It's just so boring that nobody cares about it. Uh, and so, except us, I guess. But uh, <laughs> or until your train bring on not the working. boring stuff. That's right, that's right. Yeah. So, can I ask? It feels like there is increasing consensus around the the urgency to do something on transportation. Right? We've been seeing it on media coverage. Like Commonwealth Magazine had a big piece on it a week or two ago. Adam Vaccaro's piece about this lag time that we just yep. talked about, and people not necessarily feeling the improvements that some investments might have been made on. Mark, you got a little coverage in Politico that wasn't too shabby the yeah. other day. That was pretty nice. And so people are talking about it. John Chesto had that piece about the business community saying that it's time to act on transportation. Where is the consensus on what that action is and how we pay for it? And how do you feel like that's meshing in with the political conversation right now? I'd actually love to hear that perspective from Charlie. Well, yeah, let me tell you, I, I have a strong perspective on that, largely because of the work that I've been doing uh, relentlessly, as it turns out, just for the last few months. I've been doing a ton of work on infrastructure and on the future of transportation and driverless cars and autonomous vehicles and that kind of stuff. And I think there's a huge disconnect between uh, what needs to happen and the politics. Mm. Because I think the reality is that we are still talking about sort of about a lot of sort of old school transportation investments that what you're seeing in a lot of places around the country, uh, they're shying away from because of the very distinct possibility that they're going to be, uh, they're going to be obsolete at the ribbon cutting. So I think we have to be uh, we certainly need to invest in transportation, but I think that the type of investment that we need to 
uh, make going forward, given the, the magnitude of the revolution that we're about to see, uh, is very different from the kind of investments that we have traditionally talked about. So you're about. saying be more multimodal. Yeah. What I think the shortest version I can say is that um, autonomous vehicles are going to change the world, and they are going to, among other things, they're going to be an, create an existential crisis for transit because most of the uh, most of the cost uh, of most vehicles is the driver and when you don't have a driver anymore public transportation is not going to have a cost uh, advantage over uh, these sort of driverless kind of uber fleets i think what you're going to see happening what's already happening is in a lot of the sort of outside the city core transit systems uh, that's really going to be gone they're just they're in, they're they're subsidizing people to take Uber and those kind of things. Uh, what and what we, about communities that might not have the resources to pay for that? Either, either the well, individuals but or that's the communities the, the idea is that the that the subsidy would would make that. You know, if you do it right, the subsidy is going to make that a wash with what they're paying now. But the real focus to avoid the kind of horrible congestion that we are all living with took me an hour and a half to to drive home from Needham on the rare day that I don't that I actually do drive. Um, Last week was horrible. Uh, what we really need to do is we really need to have an effective transit system in the downtown core so that people uh, are not jumping in an Uber or a Lyft to go a half a mile because mm. that would be that would just be the ultimate kind of uh, uh, gridlock nightmare. Jen will map out walking the routes for them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. No. I mean, that's a great. I live. I live right near a T, and. Everywhere I go is off of a T. And I, I honestly, I, I walk most places because by the time I get down the T, wait for the T, and get around. But then if you're in an Uber or you're driving around, all I do is say, I hate those Uber drivers. Because, yeah. <laughs> yes. you know, you get the people who are coming in from New Hampshire and Connecticut and, you know, out in Western Mass, and they're driving around the city like they've never been in a city before. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't know where they're going. And they're driving around here thinking, what are these city drivers doing? Good God. Yeah. Well, I, I want to build on that a little bit because I was actually in New York a couple of weekends ago for this thing called Transportation Camp. It's uh it's a thing that a lot well, of millennials do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we all wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to go talk for a whole day about transportation. And actually, one of the sessions that I led, it's, it's, a very, it's a crowdsourced sort of conference. And so you can come and bring your own ideas. And so one of the things that we wanted to talk about was micromobility, this, this mm. future of electric scooters, uh, non-motorized scooters, um, uh, electric bikes, e-bikes, e-assist yeah. e bikes, and so it's exploding. Um, yeah, they're exploding, and but they're uh, you know in some ways they're going to solve some of these mobility problems within cities, but in some ways they're also kind of, kind of clickbait. They're they're a, a real distraction from the major investments that we need to make. And so, to your point, to your question earlier, uh, Jesse, I think I don't think that there is a lot of consensus around. Uh, a lot of people want the T to be better. They want reliability they want frequency a lot of these things are coming with the the things that are you know to coin a phrase uh coming down the pike um <laughs> but uh in, in some literal ways because the the orange and red line trains are coming from springfield probably down the pike um and so uh, you know those the, the challenge there is going to be getting rallying people around very specific ideas and, and one of the few things that has come up as a policy within the gubernatorial uh, uh, you know, debate has been the idea of, say, bringing the commuter rail operations 
back in-house. And I don't think that's necessarily... I, I consider myself to be a progressive Democrat, but I don't think that's also necessarily the solution. Um, but I think it gets to the, uh, the, the heart of the issue, which is people are really, really frustrated with the status quo, and they want something. So we're, we're just about out of time, unfortunately, but let me close with this one question. What has to happen for the political will to be there to make change? We can define what that change is in another conversation. And by the way, we also need to talk about housing because it's all related. Oh, yes. But what needs to happen for the political will to be there for the needle to move? Uh, for the longest time, uh, I was worried that it was going to take a major catastrophe. And then the orange line set fire at Back Bay, and then people were jumping out of windows, and then that still wasn't enough, it seemed. So, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think people are distracted by the national politics. I think people are, think that uh, they're helpless here at home in, in Massachusetts. Uh, the political structure makes it really difficult to understand who to talk to about transportation. Advocates are really, really trying hard to get people out to vote and, and to understand that the people who represent you locally are the ones who then go to bat for you for, uh, for these sorts of issues. But... Uh, it's it's really it, it's really kind of taking a backseat to a lot of other sort of huge uh, humanitarian and, and sort of social justice issues right now. I think the only thing that can change, you know, we had on the T side, we had 2015. I think the uh, as, as much as those are very important issues, I think the one thing that politically is going to change it is that we're getting to a point where people's level of rage over traffic congestion mm. is has has got to be heard by their elected absolutely. officials. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what, I think that's an amazing point, you know, the last point to, to end on um, is is that really, it's your local elected officials, right? Those yeah. are the people who are elected in your areas and they should understand the pain that you have to go through every day. Um, and, you know, they have to participate in it. And, um, you know, one of the things I always like to tell people is that our elected officials are not celebrities. They work for you. They get paid by taxpayer dollars. And so, you know, when you go to vote, keep that in mind. They have their jobs because of you, not because they, you know, hit the lotto. And <laughs> Even though we all tried with that one point. We all tried. <laughs> Jesse, you know what? We would be able to do our free show. Absolutely. Get the free parking. <laughs> That's right. Because we wouldn't have to work at our jobs anymore yeah. to All right. support Good our plan. fun plan. Good plan. We will um. be buying lottery tickets in bulk to support our fun. If you billion, you could even pay your guests. Yeah, actually, <laughs> actually, you're right. I love a city council podcast. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Charlie and Mark, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks and for um, us. this was amazing. Great conversation. And uh, you. looking forward to hearing some more stories from Transportation Camp. Yeah, how do we get an invite <laughs> next year? Oh, come, come out the Come hang out with the cool kids. There's going to be one in April, uh, uh, weather permitting, and we'll we'll see here over here, here? at MIT. Yes. Oh, oh. Cool. all <laughs> right, good times, everybody. Thank good you. Good times. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. That was a really interesting conversation with those two. I know. I think we could have it for probably another half hour right? every week for the next ten years, and probably still have plenty to talk about. I know. And then we should. I think we should just have this like. Um, coming in all the trains, all the teas <laughs> every morning <laughs> for commuters to listen to. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't know if that's torture or if that's entertaining. Um, but one of the things that we thought was important as we talked about the impact of transportation on voting and on the election and on the political sphere here in Massachusetts was to have a sense of what voters are actually saying. So we're really happy that Rich Parr, the research director of Mass Inc. Polling Group, uh, is calling in from the Western Mass Outpost of the podcast 
Uh, Rich, how are things out there in Western Massachusetts? Hi, everyone. Uh, things are chilly out here today. I don't know how it is in Boston. But... <laughs> it's, it's pretty brisk. <laughs> it's cold. Pretty brisk. Well, Rich, you had a chance to listen in on our conversation with Mark and Charlie. I did. Yes? It was like listening to one of our focus groups about transportation, of which we have done many. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was so interested interested to hear them say that they didn't think that issues of transportation were really going to have that big of an impact uh, on November 6th. How is that uh, meshing or not meshing with what you're seeing in the public polls you've done? I think I'd have to generally agree with that um, for a couple of reasons. First is um, Charlie Baker has a really big lead in in the public polling. We have him up, I think, 44 points last time we looked, and um, UMass Lowell had him at around 39 points, Suffolk a little bit lower. but um, even if there were to be a large number of voters who come out and take out their frustration about their commute or public transportation on him, and it's not at all clear to me whether or not they actually blame him exclusively or whether they, bel- they blame these sort of longer systemic problems that you all were talking about, um, I don't think it's going to make a difference in the election per se. Um, I will say that there is some evidence in the numbers when we've asked it that Charlie Baker has a lower approval rating on transportation-specific parts of his job than he has of his overall job approval and his overall favorability, which we all know is the highest of any governor in the country. So, Can you tell us sure. more about that, Rich? What do those numbers actually look like? Are they lower by a lot, by a little? Do you, I don't know if yeah, you have that in so, front of you. I mean, I'll just give you an example. This is from a poll we did in March for WBUR. Uh, we had Charlie Baker with a 66% favorable rating overall with, with voters. But then when you ask people to rate his job performance on certain tasks, um, and we included transportation and non-transportation tasks here, most people were giving him grades in the good to fair to poor range as opposed to excellent. So for improving the state's roads and highways, um, you know, 29% say he's doing a good job, 38% say he's doing a fair job, a quarter are saying he was doing a poor job. Um, for the T, it's 22, 35, 18. So very few people, less than 10% in both of those cases, and actually in all of the things we tested, say he's doing an excellent job. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there between kind of his the overall impressions of Charlie Baker, which are very, very good, and kind of the specifics when you get into to, to asking people about his particular job performance. Um, that said... Subsequent polls have shown Charlie Baker with even higher favorable ratings, and as I said, his his uh, it does not seem to be hurting him in the head-to-head um, with Jay, with Jay Gonzalez. So uh, it looks like whatever feelings uh, people have about how he's doing, it's good enough for them uh, to continue to like him and to continue to want to vote for him. Well, I mean, Rich, do you think that part of that is also? I mean, it's big state, and you know the people who are most affected by the commuter rail. Um, or the MBTA are people who are commuting mostly into the city. I mean, so, you know, you're talking about maybe 495 in, you know, definitely 95, 128 in. But I mean, you know, when you're when you're out there and, and doing that polling, th- that's a very specific group of people also. Yeah, do you see right? some sort of regional breakdown of People yes, carry absolutely. more in one area and less like in another. Like Cape Cod and, you know, Western Mass and, you know, Central to Western Mass. Um, yes, I, I, I was struck by um, a lot of what Jen was saying in the earlier conversation about how everyone has a transportation story, right? Everyone has the friend who's taking an hour and a half to get in from some 
suburb where it shouldn't take an hour and a half to get into the Or city. the friend who uses a slow MBTA as an excuse for being late all the time. Right, yeah, exactly. People yes. who shall remain nameless, friends. Yeah. Or need to leave early because of that same slow. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so what we've found in polling is that there is a very big regional split going on here. So there's a split between A, where you live in the state, and B, what mode of transportation you use to get around most of the time. And um, in your Boston, in Boston itself, and in the inner suburbs of Boston, which we kind of define in our polls as within the 128 belt, that's where the concerns about traffic congestion and the mm. concerns about public transit are higher than concerns about the condition of the roads in general. When you get out to that belt between 128 and 495, it's about even with those things. When you get to Western and Central Massachusetts, when you get to the Southeast and the Cape Cod, people are much more concerned about actually just the roads being in good shape sure. um, because they don't experience, and I, I'm speaking to you from Northampton and I can, I can attest to this, uh, they don't experience traffic on a regular basis. Um, and there isn't really much in the way of public transit out here. Mm. That's not to say that people don't want it because things like expanding rail to other parts of the state that don't have it, east-west rail, south coast rail, pull really well across the entire state. So there's what I would say maybe nascent demand for uh, an expansion of those sorts of things. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there is a lot of um, feeling of skepticism in the public. It comes through in the numbers about our ability to actually get big things done uh, when it comes to transportation. If you do a focus group on this stuff, you don't have to scratch very far down below before you start getting to the big dig. It's still very much... <laughs> in people's minds in terms of uh, that's their their touchstone in terms of how well Massachusetts does dealing with big transportation projects. I'd be so curious, Rich, and I, and not necessarily to talk about right now, but for a future conversation about the age breakdown of that big dig response, because it's getting to be yeah. a little while ago now, and I can see how millennial voters might not have that as a frame of reference. But one last question. I want to ask you the same thing we, we asked uh, Charlie and Mark about paying for this. You mm -hmm. know, we're ha we have this developing consensus that something needs to be done, maybe not as an acute of a consensus in Western Mass for the reasons you just discussed, but are you seeing anything in the, in the polling you're doing to indicate a willingness to make investments and pay for it, and if so, by what mechanism? Yes. So what we generally find, and this is a sort of a classic truism of polling, is that people love the idea of doing big, big things in any given policy area, transportation included, and they hate the idea of paying for them. So uh, all you know, these people it, just want to win the lottery like we do, Jen. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Like Massachusetts well, could win the lottery collectively. <laughs> $1.6 million, $1.6 billion would have actually paid for almost a year of repairs. Yeah. There you go. Right? That's what you would have you, you exactly used, what used my money for. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> I would say that. Um, Sorry, Rich. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, I would say that, uh, as I mentioned, you know, re uh, rail expansions are popular. The regional rail concept that Transit Matters, Marco Bunia, talk about the idea of kind of making the commuter rail run in a different way. If you pose that to people, you get really high numbers of support. And then the next question is, well, um, and even if you ask them in the abstract, well, do you, would you support increasing funding to like do some of this stuff? Most people will support that. When you, what, where the drop-off happens is when you get into the specific ways of paying for it. And generally what we see is that, that fees that are related to using the system, tolls, gas taxes, transit fares, um, vehicle registration fees, so on and so forth, pull very poorly. What actually pulls better, um, to, to be honest, was um, the, the fair share tax. That was doing very well on the ballot. 
Um, and then other broad-based taxes, the idea of we should raise taxes on corporations or we should raise taxes on high earners and, and use that to pay for that. People love that, those sorts of concepts, but I think it's unlikely to you would see any of that happening in the next session. I think that we're looking more like at things that are more in the user fee category and we know that those are unpopular. And in fact, in 2014, we saw an actual repeal of part of yeah. the raise of the gas tax after the fact. And uh, and and then, of course, we had the, the problems that we had with the T, which have which have really I mean, if you, if you want to talk about the single biggest thing that has vaulted transportation up to the place where it is in the public consciousness is that winter in 2015 with the T. We saw the numbers. Oh, we just all remember shoot it. Up. And they've they've come down a little bit, but they're still it's still up there now in that top tier of issues in Massachusetts, along with education, a perennial top issue, jobs in the economy and healthcare. You know, and now transportation is, if not exactly up with them, it's kind of right right behind them. It used to be a little bit lower down, um, kind of in the middle tier of issues that we test. Well, Rich, call us crazy, but I think you're going to be pulling on transportation issues for the foreseeable future. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, I, think, I think you're right about How old that, is yes. it? We have the oldest uh, transportation system in the country, right? Oldest so subway system in the country, You're probably yeah. looking at a long... Um, long profession of, of polling. Yeah. You've got looking, some job security, Rich. At, Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. Looking at this issue. Yes, I don't think it's right. going anywhere. Oh, man. Well, Rich, thank you for being our Western Mass polling correspondent uh, for this episode. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Rich. All right. Take care, guys. Jen, how are you getting home later? I'm on foot. Yeah, I think I'm taking the tea home, but it's always a little bit weather dependent. You know, that's the whole thing is it is wonderful to walk around here when the sun is shining or if there is no precipitation. Right. Call me in February. Yeah, exactly. But come (laughs) February and you're like getting whipped in the face with ice and it looks better and better to be in an Uber, a car or take even the tea. Even the tea looks good those days. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you to Rich and to Mark and to Charlie for spending some time with us this afternoon. Uh, We are sorry that we uh, missed a week. It is not my fault it is my gallbladder's fault um we were on schedule and then my gallbladder decided it needed to be removed you're so looking good though you're you're looking healthy and we're under happy eye to have concealer you back again. does wonders i gotta tell you um but we'll be back uh on our regular every other week schedule uh i think starting next week and leading into the ever-present election yes big big it's gonna be a big nail biter here in Massachusetts. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. Hey, we're all keeping an eye on the third up there. We don't know what's going to happen. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. I, well, I mean, you know, just I'm between, you know, Warren, not sure if she's going to make it through, and Baker, not sure <laughs> if he's going to make it through. It's really intense with us, Jesse. Oh Very well, intense. The national stuff will be interesting, no doubt. Um, and we would be remiss if we didn't end without saying hello to our mothers. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. And my dad feels left out. He's listening to My mom was sad not to hear us last week, so she actually had to make a trip here to come visit. Oh, my goodness. That's (laughs) so lovely. That's so lovely. Well, we'll be back on schedule for your mom and for everybody else. Thanks for listening. And I'm Jennifer Nassour, the Republican. I'm Jesse Mermel, the Democrat. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. Take care.